are born from great opportunity. You shouldn't have any doubt in your mind about what you're supposed to do tonight and about how you're supposed to do it. This is your time. Now, I don't want them to gain another yard. We gotta go out there and we gotta take it. Take their game and you shove it right back in their face. That's how winning is done. Team is something you belong to. Something you feel. Something you have to earn. If we don't come together, it's over. And I guarantee a week won't go by in your life. You won't regret walking out, letting them get the best of it. I'll ask you one last time. To be the best that you can be. Play like champions. Win. It's about heart. It's about who can go out there and play the hardest. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. I don't care what the scoreboard says, at the end of the game, in my book, we're gonna be winners. In any fight, it's the guy who's willing to die, willing to take the hit, who's gonna win that itch. Let me tell you something, you don't let anything, nothing, come between us. On this team, we fight, and we shut them down, because we can't. Sports locker rooms. We get inspired by these speeches and these coaches that are raising the bar so high and then say, you can do it. You can. I mean, some of those guys up there, you're going to have to, you know, dig deep and, and, and you, be willing to, to pay the price and all those things. You're enduring hardship in order to reach the goal. I mean, it's tough, but there's a prize to be won. I, I could have played a montage of, of inspirational speeches from, from military movies, probably, uh, and, and you'd be feeling just as inspired, right? I, I mean, you've got uh, freedom and all the, you know, you got the, the, all the, the, the different, and, and not just movies, they're depicting actual things. I mean, military leaders have given those speeches down through history to motivate their soldiers to face the enemy and, and to face overwhelming odds and to come away victorious. They, uh, the, these uh, uh, leaders, military leaders, convince their troops that, uh, that the principles that they're fighting for are noble enough to defend and to even die for, right? There have been, there've been uh, uh, leaders of causes down through, uh, down through history who have mobilized uh, ma- massive amounts of, uh, of people and, uh, and, and even finances in order to support, uh, support their efforts. And uh, things from ranging from, uh, uh, you know, stopping world hunger, saving the environment, digging clean water wells, uh, electing certain candidates, supporting certain ministries. Uh, people have given uh, to, uh, sacrificially to specific causes. Uh, they, they, they go above and beyond. They go beyond what, what, uh, what would be comfortable or natural in, in order to, because the cause is, uh, is something they believe in. Those leaders, no, no matter what the situation, in the locker room, on the, the battlefield, uh, going after a, uh, a, a cause of some sort, the, 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 those leaders are able to convince the followers that the cause is worth 
the cost, right? We've been following Jesus in the book of Luke over the past uh, month or so during this season of Lent, and we're catching glimpses of his life and ministry, and, and we followed him into the desert a few weeks ago, and we saw that, that we can follow his example. We have all the resources that he had in order to, um, to resist temptation. Uh, we were on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and in a boat out on the Sea of Galilee learning that Jesus wants to take us deeper even when that means trusting him in the middle of the storms of life. And today uh, we're going to listen in on what I think could be considered a motivational halftime speech that, that Jesus gave to his disciples in Luke chapter 9. He didn't uh, mince words. He, he didn't water anything down. He actually raised the bar uh, of expectation quite high. And, and then he left it up to them, and I think he leaves it up to us to decide if we will take the challenge and keep on following him. So Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 26. Once... When Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone, and he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So, so, so Peter declared that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God himself. It's really kind of a rallying point here, right? I mean, I can almost picture these uh, disciples all huddled up, Jesus in the middle, and, and Jesus says, okay, guys, uh, what, uh, that, that's what the crowds are saying about me. Good, thanks, yes, but, but I got it. But what about you guys? Who do you say I am? And Peter gives the right answer, and maybe they all got their hands in. Okay, he's the Messiah, he's the son of, one, two, three, let's go, let's do this thing, right? They're getting all excited. I, I'm just conjecturing, I'm sure it didn't happen, but maybe even the other disciples lifted Peter up on their shoulders, and they're dancing around. Yes, this is it, he is, he is the Messiah. But then I picture Jesus kind of pulling Peter back down and saying, wait a minute, guys, it's, it's really not going to be like that. I've got to suffer and die. Now, now Luke doesn't mention it, but in Matthew and Mark, this same, uh, uh, this same story is told. And, and when they tell uh, that, that story, uh, it, it tells about Peter, uh, fresh off his victorious proclamation, you are God's Messiah, you are the Son of God. Uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus then says, no, wait a minute, that's not going to be like that. And then, and then uh, Peter pulls Jesus aside. And he says, Jesus, you're kind of killing the momentum here. Um, it's, it, the, you had the whole rallying cry thing, that was great, but, uh, but now we need to keep it going. You're kind of killing the mood. 
He says, can, is, is got to be a better way to save the world, a little less bloody maybe, a little less, uh, a little less controversial here. Uh, and, and that's when Jesus said the phrase, you've heard the phrase, get thee behind me, Satan, right? And so he actually, he's not calling Peter Satan necessarily, but uh, the, Peter was tempting him to, uh, to get off of the track that God was calling him to. And, and Jesus explained then uh, in, in Matthew and Mark and here in verse 22 of Luke chapter 9, he explained that things were going to look differently than what Peter and his disciples had in mind. There was a cost to following God's will, but the cause was worth the cost. Jesus knew that he had a divine calling, but that his life revolved around God's plan for him and for the world. He said, I must suffer and be killed and rise again. He, he's, he's, showing that he's driven by this by this purpose right uh, this goal the, the the prize the dream the vision uh by it, it, it's far greater than than winning a football game or or uh, defeating an enemy in battle jesus is fulfilling the will of god and that's what motivated him uh, even to the cross and beyond he says i must do these things suffer be killed and rise again so the, the motivational speech continues and Jesus challenges them then in this, uh, again, picturing this, this huddle, uh, the 12 guys gathered around Jesus and, uh, and, and he says, okay, if anyone wants to come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, then you can follow me. So we've been finding out what it takes to follow Jesus. Jesus tells us here, he tells his disciples and he tells us. I, I want you to picture yourself in that huddle as one of Jesus' followers, and I want you to hear those words of Jesus, because I think that, that, that many people think that following Jesus is a whole lot like a wonderful afternoon stroll in the sunshine. And you're just kind of walking along, and Jesus is there, and you're getting to do everything you want to do, and oh, I want some of that, and let's go get some ice cream, and let's do this, and can you bless me here, can we do that, and I'm following Jesus, and we're going together. That picture looks a whole lot like, if you really think about it, that's Jesus following you. I'm going to go where I want to go, and I want Jesus to bless me as I go there. Jesus says following him is a little tougher than that, but the cause is worth the cost. First, he says, you must. So he just said, I must suffer and, and die and, and rise again. Now he says, okay, if you're going to follow me, then you must uh, Jesus, just as Jesus had a calling to fulfill the plan of God in his life and through his life, we are called to do the same thing. Uh, with, within that must is, is, the, uh, is understood that, that, that God is calling us, that, that there is a divine call that says, I can't not do this. All of you English teachers out there, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, that's a double negative, and yet I did it on purpose, I promise. I, I can't not do that. I, I, I have to do I must do that. God has a purpose. God has a will. God wants me to follow him. God wants to write the plot in the story of your life. And as we follow him, we should see his plans emerging in our lives, not just our plans. I think I'm going to go there and do this now, and Jesus, I want you to bless it, but I'm going to go where you take me, even if it's hard, even if it's tough, even if I don't understand, because the cause is worth the cost. 
if you've ever watched Seinfeld, you know that, uh, that there are usually several different plots going on in, in one episode. Over 22 minutes, you've got uh, uh, Kramer has one crisis and Elaine has another and Jerry and George something else. But, but it seems like always, by the end, no matter how crazy each one goes, uh, usually uh, in the diner at the end, all of those plots converge together and it all kind of ties a bow on it. Um, I don't know, my, my favorite one has to do with uh, when, when George was uh, lying to his girlfriend and saying he was a marine biologist. The same episode is when Kramer decides that it would be fun to, uh, uh, to hit uh, golf balls off the, uh, uh, off the sand dunes and out into the ocean. Uh, then George, uh, there's a whale that's, that's caught. George just happens to be going by. His girlfriend says, well, you're a marine biologist. Why don't you help the whale? And uh, then they're at the diner at the end, and, and George is telling this miraculous story how he walked out into the waves, and, and uh, he got swept up on top of the, the, I don't know, savage beast. I don't know what he called it, but it was, it was very dramatic. Very, very, uh, very, very, anyway. And then he reaches down, and he says, there was something blocking the blowhole, and I reached down, and, it, and then he picks up, and he's got this golf ball in his hand, right? And it all kind of came together because Kramer and the ball and the, and the Marine and all, and it all came together and just goofy, silly stuff. I mean, it happens in most, most TV shows or movies that we watch, but uh, I think Seinfeld, it was always just the most blatant and just kind of crazy. How are they going to pull all this together? And yet, yet they always seem to. It's what, uh, what author Renata Adler calls waiting for the plot to emerge. Yet when speaking about real life, Ms. Adler saw it differently. She, she said this, I used to think that at some point you'd see your life as a long narrative swing. That at some point you could see the shape of things and all the different strands would come together. But she says, now I, I don't. You, you, you can find a plot to a week or a couple of days, but not much more and not to a lifetime. Author, speaker, and producer Bob Benson disagreed with Renata Adler. He wrote these words, it seems to me that it is possible to find the central thread around which each of our lives is woven. In fact, the longer I live, the more it seems that all the stepping stones are indeed heading in one direction. Even places that at one time looked like detours at best or dead-end roads at their worst appear now to have moved me along to where I am. I think all of those thoughts begin to capture what it means to live life following Jesus, following God's plans, God's dreams, God's goals. Uh, Sometimes we're we're not sure where it's all taking us, but as we follow, we are waiting, looking, have faith in the fact that the plot is emerging. God wants to write the plots of our lives, but in order to do that in order to have that be true in our lives we have to follow him and and Jesus says if we're going to follow him we have to do a couple of things we must do a couple of the things and the first one is you must deny yourself there was no woo after that that's that didn't doesn't sound like fun does it 
I mean, many of you might be facing that right now as you've been maybe fasting something during the Lenten season. You're denying yourself of something that normally would be fine. It's amazing to me how dependent I am when I go through seasons of, or maybe even just a meal of fasting. It's amazing how dependent I am on these 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 things, food, routines, I don't know, whatever it might be. That's why denying ourselves at times is good for us, I think, to recognize the whole that some of these things have on us. We'd rather just do what we want. It's, it, it's kind of like uh, uh, two young brothers who, who came downstairs for breakfast on a Saturday morning and their mother was, was cooking pancakes and she uh, was flipping the first one off the griddle and, and uh, the boys started arguing about who was going to get the first one and who was going to have to wait for her to make another one and, and, and their mother seized the opportunity, as all good mothers do. And she, she was going to teach them a lesson. And she said, now, boys, what would Jesus say if he were here? And the boys looked back at her with very blank expressions, not having a clue what Jesus would say. And so she said, uh, Jesus would say, my brother, you may have the first pancake. I'll wait. And so the older brother turned to the younger brother and said, John, you be Jesus. It's hard to deny ourselves, right? We, we want what we want when we want it. Uh, but, but as we've kind of alluded to, uh, people do it all the time. If the, if the cause is right, it's worth the cost. I mean, soldiers deny their right to themselves as they choose to serve and they train for battle. Athletes train and put themselves through all sorts of challenges in order to win the game or the medal or the trophy. Uh, parents deny their desires in order to provide for their children. People give money and deny themselves certain pleasures because they uh, give to any number of charities or causes that they believe in. We deny ourselves food and rest in order to uh, work out and lose weight. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. We do this all all the time in a whole lot of areas of life it, it, it's hard but but we do it but somehow somehow many people push back when Jesus says you must deny yourself I mean if a football game is worth sacrifice if if saving the whales is worth sacrifice if if losing weight is worth sacrifice then then, then wouldn't following Jesus be worth the sacrifice No, it's not easy. Jesus never offered people an easy way to live. He offered the best way to live. And so he raises a standard, then he calls us to meet the challenge. And it's, 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 uh, it's kind of just like that talk in the huddle. He says, here it is. Here it is. The cause is worth the cost. It's going to cost. It's going to cost. You're going to have to deny yourself, but the cause is worth the cost because some things are worth the sacrifice. There are things in your life, I'm sure. I mean, what are the things that you sacrifice for? Maybe it's family. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe your family. Maybe your health. Maybe, maybe your country. What about your Jesus? Is he worth the sacrifice? Jesus says that following him, if we're going to follow Jesus, it's going to involve denying ourselves. He also says something else, that we must take up our cross. Take up your cross. So disciples gathered around Jesus, Jesus in the huddle, uh, and, this, and he says, you must take up your cross, and, and, and those disciples would have taken that literally, and Jesus would have meant it literally. Jesus was on his way to a literal cross, complete with literal splinters, literal thorns, literal nails, 
And as Jesus spoke to his followers at that pinnacle moment, as they're, as they're gathered around and he's telling them what it takes to really follow him, Jesus wanted them to know what they were getting into. The cross in that culture at that day was an image of suffering and death that Jesus' hearers would have been very familiar with. They would have seen people hanging on crosses many times uh, in their lives leading up to that point as, as Rome enacted their version of justice. It would have been understood, a kind of a, 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 an understood way of life that, that uh, I'm going to live my life in order to avoid crosses. That, that would have been the understood way of living. I'm going to avoid a cross, whatever the stakes. I'm not going to do anything that's going to lead there. The cross meant humiliation and suffering and death. And so, in essence, much like a coach or a general, Jesus is motivating the disciples and he says, if, if you're going to follow me, there's a cost. You have to be willing to die. We spiritualize this, and, and we should, but, but, but if you were there in that huddle, you would have understood that, that real physical danger and death were possible if you kept following this guy. Again, Jesus raising the bar, motivating his followers in order to attain that high standard. A couple things about taking up crosses. One thing is that it's voluntary. Uh, taking up your cross is voluntary. I, I think we've gotten a little bit skewed or a little bit careless when we use the term like, uh, this is the cross I have to bear, right? We, we, we use that, a lot of people use that term in life. But I, I think we get it confused a little bit with what Jesus is, is talking about here. I mean, maybe let's say someone is, uh, is getting on your nerves at work or in your family or, or so, and you grit your teeth and you say, well, I guess that's just my cross I have to bear. No, it isn't. <laughs> I mean, it's hard, but it's, it's not what Jesus is talking about here. Or, or let's say that a, that a tornado sweeps through, uh, uh, through Medina and, and destroys my home and, and I can't call that a cross I have to bear because I didn't volunteer for that. Uh, it, it's just something that I chose to do because uh, uh, it's not something that I chose to do because uh, Jesus was leading me to do it. it. I mean, it's a difficult situation. I'll have to walk through a whole lot, but, but it's not what Jesus is getting at. That's, that's not uh, taking up my cross for Jesus. Maybe uh, let's say you're battling an illness or you're going through all sorts of, uh, of health issues and it's the cross I have to bear I mean it's it's hard it's a painful path to walk it's not what Jesus is talking about here maybe a loved one gets sick or 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 dies and and I go through long days of grief and loss that's still not what Jesus is talking about I mean it's difficult and and it's a heavy burden but it's it's not a cross that I'm voluntarily taking up as I follow Jesus if I'm going to do what Jesus said in that huddle with his disciples and take up my cross it means that I'm going to volunteer to serve Jesus whatever it takes it's a conscious choice that I make offering myself offering my life to serve Jesus it's a voluntary decision. It's, it's, also, it's also an eternal decision, taking up your cross. So let's say you gain money or fame or power. Uh, maybe you have a great family or a great marriage. You get to travel the world. You get to see far off lands. You, you fulfill all your dreams. But if you lose your very self, Jesus says, uh, it, it uses the term your soul in Matthew and Mark. If you lose your soul, what good is all of that? None of, the, none of those things will, will, will matter if you lose your soul. Eternity 
must be what we're living for, not the here and now. I'm not knocking any of those things. Families and and careers and vacations, bucket lists, those those are all great things, but, but they are not the core of your life. Life is eternal. And so enduring hardship and trouble and pain and bearing our cross for Jesus doesn't have to be overwhelming because there is an eternity to live for, not just here and now. We, we have to look at life from an eternal perspective. Just as Paul did in, in 2 Corinthians 4, he said this, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Taking up your cross is an eternal decision. And can we just be honest, uh, uh, one more truth about taking up your cross is that it's just hard. It's, it's not easy. Back then it meant being willing to die. Today in some parts of the world, it still does mean exactly that. For us right now, it, it means uh, to die to what we want in our lives and to let Jesus have control. It means being determined to live your life for, for God's dreams and God's will in the world. And, and that's hard. It, it might mean going without something or, or, or moving or, or leaving loved ones behind or, or fill in the blank. It, it might mean heartache or humiliation. Over the years, Jesus' followers. I mean, we could, I could tell you stories of, of people in, in history and even people that I know. It's meant, following Jesus has meant different things for, for each one, but, but uh, there are so many examples of people who have borne crosses for Jesus, right? They've given up everything in order to follow him. Uh, all of those disciples gathered around Jesus that day in that huddle, uh, they, they ended up facing persecution. All but one of them were killed because of the fact that when Jesus called them to follow him, they said yes. Countless Jesus followers have paid high prices for bearing crosses in his name. Again, we could tell stories. You, you know stories. You know people uh, that, that have endured much for the cause of Christ. Are, are those the super Christians, the, the, the saints, and we put them up on a pedestal and, oh, I could never do it? Uh, no, they're just regular people, just like those disciples, who when they gathered in the huddle and they heard the challenge from Jesus... They gladly denied themselves. They took up their crosses and they followed him. It's one of those things that's simple and yet so difficult. Deny myself, take up my cross, and follow him wherever he takes me. We can talk about that, we can listen to it in a sermon, but until we do it, we're not really following Jesus. These people, those disciples, these people throughout, they, they, they dedicated their lives to fulfilling God's purpose in the world and they were used in amazing ways. It's not easy. They, they, they gave up comfort and plans and money and time and some even their very lives. But if we could ask any of them today, uh, they would say that it was worth it all to follow their Jesus wherever he led them. So, so the question has to be for us today is, what about you? What, what stories is God want, wanting to write with your life? What stories is he writing with your life? Where is the plot emerging 
as you see God leading you on those stepping stones through your life? What, what crosses are, your, are you bearing or, or what is he calling you to bear and you've kind of resisted and you need to, to, to uh, deny yourself and take it up and follow him? What are you hearing in the huddle with Jesus today? No doubt it will mean denying yourself. There's a cross involved, but the cause is worth the cost. Father God, I pray all across this room and and, uh, online, wherever people might access this, Lord, I just pray that your spirit would speak to hearts today. That, that we can picture your, your voice uh, coming across our soul and, and saying, yeah, it's, it, it's not the easiest thing in the world to follow Jesus, but it's so worth it. Lord, I, I pray for the, those things that, that you're putting in our paths and the ideas that you're placing in our minds and the way that you're speaking to us, Lord, I pray that we would not uh, deny uh, you, but that we would deny ourselves. And that as we recognize the standard, the, the, the goal that is so high to take up our cross, Lord, that we can recognize that it, it is all worth it. That, that, that the cost is nothing compared to the cause of following you, of knowing you. Lord, I, I pray that as we go from here, as we live our lives this week, that we can be in tune with who you are and what you are doing in our lives. We commit ourselves following you today in Jesus name.